Hi, I'm Brett Johnson, former United States most wanted cyber criminal, now good guy, and host of the Brett Johnson Show on YouTube. Today's episode, episode 40, Brittany Greiner, the perception of truth and those stupid, stupid passwords when we come back. All right, so we're back to the Brett Johnson Show. Today's episode, Brittany Griner, The Perception of Truth, and those stupid, stupid, and I mean really friggin' stupid, passwords. So let's just well, dive right in. I was in. getting ready to record this episode. I was on LinkedIn, and Candy Zabka, she posted something about the TikTok. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I love me some TikToks. Matter of fact, I was on Newsmax just about a week and a half ago talking about TikTok, and I was like, hey! You know, yeah, the Chinese, they can catch all your data. But man, that app, that mother is so fun to use. I mean, every time I'm in the bathroom, I've got me some TikTok going. I've got me some TikTok going. And that algorithm, man, that algorithm is the shit. Let's just be honest. That algorithm is the best algorithm I've ever seen. You just, you pause just a second on any little thing, and it just registers that you like it. So, of course... My TikTok is filled with comedians like Doug Chappelle. It's got fast cars. It might have some not safe for work stuff every now and then that pops up because, hey, it just, it they feed it in there and you're like, and I'm like, and it just registers. I'm ready in a show about TikTok, about why we should not be using TikTok because, of course, all that data goes to the Chinese week. But what I was getting to is um, Candy, she had mentioned this gentleman by the name of Andrew Tate, evidently a misogynist. And the funny thing is, is I had actually read something about him the night before regarding TikTok. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, had quoted Andrew Tate on one of his feeds. And I was like, okay, what the hell is going on here? And, the, and it's, this is from Essentially Sports, this story is, and I'll have all these stories that I'm mentioning in the show notes. But the story is from Essentially Sports, and it says, Dwayne Johnson, who is already facing backlash, caught quoting misogynist Andrew Tate. So I was like, what the hell, man? What's, what's, what's Dwayne Johnson done now? Because as far as I can tell, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is just an outstanding human being. So I scrolled down in the story and the quote, the rock says the person who goes to the gym, regardless of how they feel, will always beat the person who goes to the gym when they feel like going to the gym. And I was sitting there thinking, well, shit, that's just true. I mean, I learned that in prison. It's not, you don't go out into the yard and lift weights just because you feel like it that day. You do it regardless of how you feel. And you end up having much better results than that poor old slob that sits on his ass and doesn't do anything except, well, I, th I think today I'll go out and lift a little bit. Well, that doesn't do you any benefit at all. But that's also kind of a comment about life in general. You know, if you sit on your ass and just do something when you feel like doing it, you're probably not going to be very productive. So it's important to do the things that you need to do that are beneficial and healthy and make you become a better person. It's important to do it whether you feel like doing it or not. And, I, and that's exactly what Rock was was talking about. Not it's not it's yes it's a it's a gym quote, but it applies to more than just working out. So Andrew Tate said that. And I'm like, hey, I ain't got a problem with that. Well, 
I went on down the story because I was like, okay, where's the misogyny come in? Well, I found it. <laughs> of course I found it. So the quote, and I'm sure there's probably other stuff as well, but the quote says, uh, Andrew Tate says, I believe as a man, I should pay for the first date. I believe I should open the car door, protect her, provide. So I'm reading that and I'm like, hey, I'm down with that. I'm from Eastern Kentucky. That's the way I was brought up. I believe that's part of being a man. That's exactly what you do. You go out on a date. Hey, it's your responsibility to pay for the date, to open the car door, to be a gentleman. Now, if the lady doesn't want you to do that, hey, okay, that's fine. But you know what? I come in, I I come to the party with that in mind that, hey, it's my responsibility to do this. I want to do this as the man. So he says, this is what he says. He says, I believe it, as a man, I should pay for the first date. I believe I should open the car door, protect her, provide. I believe she is my woman. So I'm still agreeing with that. But here's where things kind of start to go off the rails. And this is one of the things I've noticed a lot on a lot of these with these social media personalities. They'll start saying something that everyone can agree with. And then somewhere along the line, they morph it, they twist it so that you, while it's like they get you agreeing. And as long as it's like a salesperson, you know, a salesperson, they'll, they'll get you saying yes. And the possibility of you continuing to say yes is pretty high like that. And then I'll throw you the price out there. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pay that. So this guy starts out saying something that I can get behind that I can agree with. And then he starts veering off in the hopes that most people will continue to co-sign on to it and agree. And I think that's what most people do with this Andrew Tate guy. What he says, and, and this is where I start to to really kind of veer off with the guy. I believe as a man, I should pay for the first date. I believe I should open the car door, protect her, provide. I believe she is my woman. I do believe that. This is just me talking. Now. I do believe that. But the flip side of that is I also believe that I am her man. Tate leaves that part out. He says, I believe she is my woman. So he kind of puts that little that little ownership thing. He's, he's poking the bail a little bit. You know, hey, hey, yeah, you mine. Yeah, I'm mine, but you mine too. No, if you're going to do that, I'm hers, she's mine. He leaves that part out. I believe she is my woman. She should come to me with her problems and I should fix them. Okay, that's, that's just man mentality there. You know, a woman, a lot of the time, I... You get you get your wife come to you and she's she's got some problems and all that, and then the man wants to fix it, wants to jump in and fix it. A lot of the times woman doesn't want a man to fix it. Woman wants a man to shut his ass up, sit there, and just listen for a minute. But no, we men, we're we're fixers. We like to fix things. <laughs> so Tate says that. He says, you know, that I believe I should fix them. If that makes me a sexist and horrible person, fine. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, okay. So I understand what you're saying there. I can kind of, I can kind of get behind that. And he even says, he says, you agree with the baseline and everyone agrees with the foundations of what I say. But when I build on top of it, they try to pretend I am sexist. So I'm like, ah, here it comes. Here it comes. This is where. This is where he's going to go off the rails, right here. So he says, by extension, if I have a responsibility over her, then I must have a degree of authority. <laughs> well, that, my friend, that would tag you as a misogynist. 
rightfully so. Here's the deal. While it is, and I, I believe that it is a man's responsibility to want to do that, to to want to pay for the first date, to want to open the door, to want to be a gentleman, to want to provide and protect and solve these problems, I believe that he should want to do that, that it is, it's his responsibility to want to do that. That does not mean that you have any ownership or control over that person. You are choosing to do that. Right? It's much, much like I, I kind of reckon it too. I went through some counseling back a few years ago, and the counselor, he looks at me at one point. It's it, this is kind of a weird segue, but I, I think it feeds into what I'm talking about here. The counselor looks at me, he's like, So, so your parents, when they gave birth to you, do you view that as a as a gift, as a blessing? And my answer was absolutely. Absolutely. They didn't have to bring me into the world, but they did. And that was the gift of life, which was given to me. So absolutely, I view that as a blessing. So he, he then asked, he was like, well, then, do you believe that when your parents become old and they can no longer tend to themselves, do you believe it is your responsibility to look over your parents or look after them? And my answer was, no, I don't. And the counselor was like, that's correct, because it's not. You were given the gift of life, but that does not mean that you have to be responsible responsible for the person later on. They didn't. You didn't ask to be brought into this world. You were. You were given that gift. If you choose later to look after your parents, that's a gift that you are giving to them. You're not obligated to do that. For example, my father... My dad, I, I I want to take care of the man. I want to make sure he's all right. That's And I view that, yeah, I'm not obligated. I don't have to do that. He knows I don't have to do that. He keeps telling my ass I don't. But I want to because I love the man and I, I want him in my life. My mom, not the best person in the world, still alive. There's no way in hell that I would ever agree to have her in my home and trying to take care of her and living with her and everything else like that. That would be a total and complete nightmare. The difference is, is my dad knows that, hey, I'm not obligated to do that. My mother thinks that, hey, it's my responsibility to look after. She gave me the gift of life. What Tate is doing is much the same thing. He's saying, hey, since I'm doing this, since I'm protecting and providing and I'm taking that man responsibility, I have authority over you. I own you and you need to accept that. No, Andrew, that is not the way this shit works. It's not. If a woman chooses to be with you, then that is a gift that has been bestowed upon you. But she is the, you you don't have you you don't own anybody. You don't control anybody. It took me a long time to figure out you can't fix anybody. Hell, I I can't control me most of the time. How can I possibly try to control anybody else? So moving right along, we're going to get to viewer comments. Don't worry, we're going to get to viewer comments. I just wanted to talk about the rock there for a second and the TikTok. I love me some TikTok. I do. I love me some TikTok. I love TikTok so much. Hey, I may be okay. If China wants to go over and take over Taiwan, I mean, I got a little upset that Snickers had to apologize to China because they said Taiwan is a free state, which it is. But TikTok is so damn good, 
that you you know you, you let me keep my TikTok. I don't know anyone in Taiwan. Just saying, I don't really mean that shit. Just saying, you gotta watch out. You gotta watch out. You take a, you take something like that that's as addictive as that that looks like it's you know not harmful anything else like that, and then people become used to it and they start not worrying about where their data is going or what's happening with the data, especially when a nation state is getting that data to use against us. All right. So Ray Miller, episode 39, he made the comment, how about treat people the way they want to be treated? I had said that we should treat people the way we would like to be treated. Ray, I, I you know, on the surface, I think that that is, a good idea, treat people the way they'd want to be treated. But I got to be honest with you. There's a whole hell of a lot of entitlement in the United States. There's a whole hell of a lot of narcissism in the United States. And if you were to encounter one of those individuals, which they are not few and far between, if you were to encounter one of those individuals and then adopt that idea of, well, I'm going to treat them the way they want to be treated. Oh my God. No. How about treat people the way they, that you would want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And at the same time, know thyself. That's just, hey, that's my understanding of why we're here on this planet. Um, Trent Young, episode 36, the Brett Johnson story, how to become an internet godfather. <clears throat> Trent makes, a, he, uh, he, he, he comments, he says, uh, a lot of your upbringing was a tragedy and a series of horrendous traumas. Your childhood horror led you to a life of crime. Knowing what you know about cybercrime, and as a result, all the good work you do now, would you change anything? Now, I am asked that frequently. You know, would I make any changes with my life? And I get a lot of flack about that because the answer is no, I wouldn't. First, you can't change your past. And, you know, I, I don't think that you that you have to dwell in it or live in the past, but you should, by God, learn from the past. Um, that being said, at the same time, I like who I am. I do. I like who I am, and I like the work that I do today. I think that I do a lot of good stuff toward protecting people, raising awareness, educating people, and uh, trying to make the world a better place. The reason I'm able to do that and the reason I like me and the reason I'm, I am who I am today and the reason I do what I do today, I attribute to every single thing that I have done in my life, good and bad, and every single thing that has been done to me in my life, good and bad. So while I have very deep regrets and I do have very very deep regrets. I wouldn't change anything. And um, yeah, I do feel a, a huge amount of guilt in saying that because I brought a lot of harm to a lot of people. And I have profound regrets about that. But um, I would not change it. I would not because I, I think that... Um, you know, I think that part of the reason that we're here is the journey. You know, we go through our trials and tribulations. We go through the shit. And some of us are able to come through it. And some of us are not. 
and um, I'm coming through it. I don't think I'm all the way through it yet, but I think I'm a better person than I used to be. And I think that I've learned a great deal from my past, and I think I continue to learn a great deal from my past, and I think that that helps benefit me when it comes to doing the work that I do today. I don't think I would be able to do that. I don't think I would have the uh, the empathy or the understanding of crime, or the criminal mindset, and the victims if I hadn't led the life that I had led coming up to this point. So, no, I would not change anything, and uh, I'm sorry for saying that. Truly, I'm, I'm sorry for saying that. But that's the way it is. Feedback. And uh, moving right some along. of the feedback I got is not always on YouTube. Uh, the person I gave some relationship advice just uh, over a week ago to this lady who um, she was engaged to this gentleman who was using cocaine and she cut off the uh, the impending marriage and she was very upset and she was she had reached out to me to ask for advice and I gave advice on the show. Well, she she followed up with a message to me just a few days ago and I'm going to read that and I'm going to comment on that. Uh, because I think she needs it. And maybe somebody else out there who's going through some similar issues needs it as well. So she's like, hi, Brett. And I'll cut out as I'm reading through this, I'm going to cut out the identifiers, which might identify this person, because I'm sure she doesn't want to people to know who the hell she is. No one would. All right. Um, if she wants to share that, she she can tell me and I'll be more than happy to share her information. But I, I try to keep things, you know, on the low, low like that. All right. So hi, Brett. I have listened to the podcast probably 20 times in the last couple of days, and I can't seem to find the right words to tell you how much it means to me that you took the time to help me. Being able to listen and replay it over and over has helped so much. I have struggled the last couple of weeks. I confided in my dad and told him everything that has happened. He is retired from the police. And I've always been able to confide in him and know that he will always keep an open mind and won't judge. This time, I was kind of disappointed. He wants us to stay together. I needed him to agree with my decisions so I don't second guess myself. And I'm just going to stop to refresh everyone here. So uh, this lady had reached out to me. Her uh, fiance has been smoking crack and this is not his first rodeo it's evidently been happening a few times she's caught him at it a few times he's also uh he spent some time incarcerated things like that and, and my statement has always been someone who's addicted the addiction comes first you cannot love someone when you have an addiction problem whether it's to a substance whether it's to crime like i used to be anything else like that and i've been on both sides of that fence i've been the person who is addicted who has been addicted addicted to crime in my case and i put my addiction in front of every single relationship that i had and i've been the person that had that was in love with someone who had an addiction and saw that flip side as well so i've got you know the viewpoint and the insight from both sides and that's why she reached out to me so she tells her dad, and her dad's like, I ought to stay with the guy. So we'll continue from there. Um, this time I was kind of disappointed. He wants us to stay together. I needed him to agree with my decision so I don't second guess myself. He says I am being irrational and too hard on him. He didn't see any of the symptoms, so I guess he could be in denial. 
being that we live on my parents' property, my ex pretty much filled the spot that my brother won't when it comes to caring for my father. They grew to be really close, and my dad may even be more heartbroken than I am. He is supportive, but is still grasping at reasons and ways for us to stay together. Our wedding date was set for 2023. September of 2023 is my parents' wedding anniversary. Since my dad's health isn't getting any better, we decided to get married in September of this year. Just immediate family, around 10 of us. I wanted my dad to be able to walk me down the aisle and give me away. Doesn't look like he's ever going to be able to walk again, but I wanted him to see me get married. Now, every time I think about the wedding, it breaks my heart knowing that my dad will not see me get married. He is going to die and not have any comfort in knowing that I will be protected and taken care of. I did have my ex listen to the podcast. He said that you are a very smart guy and everything you said is dead on. He admitted that it was very hard to hear those things, but it's all true and he has to live with the consequences of his decision. I tried to keep this brief and, and this young lady, she goes on from there. So here's the thing. Um, I absolutely understand what your dad's going through. You know, your dad, you've been with this gentleman for a while. You've had a relation, relationship, and not only that, but your dad has a relationship with your fiance too. And what I'm going to tell you is that at the end of the day, you have to make yourself healthy first. The relationship that you are in with this gentleman is not a healthy relationship. It's a relationship that's got a lot of dishonesty on his part. He's been lying to you. He's not only addicted to a substance and putting that substance in front of you, but he's also lying to you in order to keep doing that substance and to keep putting that in front of you. Because of that, it's very unhealthy. You've been accepting that. And you've you've been you've been you've been becoming less of you and less of a person because you've been having to accept that and deal with that and justify that from your end. Okay. You've got, you got a cowboy up, you got a cowboy up and you got to say, no, I've got to be healthy for me, regardless of what you're, and I, Hey, your dad's got a relationship with the guy. All right. But we're talking about your relationship with your fiance, not your dad's relationship with him. And because of that, you've got to do what's best for you. It's also what's best for your fiance, because your fiance will not stop this behavior if you keep enabling it. It's not your fault that he's doing this. It's not your fault that he's lied. It's not your fault that he's using drugs. That's all his fault. That's his choice to do that. It's his fault. It's his choice to be dishonest, to continue with this relationship like this, putting these things in front of you, which is exactly what's happening. You have the choice, and it is a choice. There's always a choice. Sometimes it's not, it's not a good, it's, sometimes it's not a very pleasant choice, but there's always a choice. You can choose to be healthy. You can choose to say no. I don't deserve this. I don't want 
to live like this. And when you make that choice, it's actually a better choice for you. It's a better choice for your fiance. And ultimately, it's a better choice for your dad. You make the statement in here that your dad is going to pass away without knowing that you're ever taken care of. But the problem is, is that you're not being taken care of. You pointed out in your previous message to me that this guy brings home $2,500 a month. You only get 500 of it. So no, to, you won't, he only gives you 500 for for living expenses and everything else for the house. No, that's not a man. All right. Sorry, it's not. And the reason why he's doing that is because that other two grand is going someplace else. Right there, he, you said he was smoking it. All right. So you're not being taken care of. And if you if you go ahead and you marry this guy now, that relationship is going to continue to decline and get worse. So your dad, while he while you'll get married, you may get married and he may think that you're good to go. What do you think your dad would think, you know, three or four years down the line? As this guy continues with his drug use, his lies, everything else, and it's going to continue to get worse. And finally, the relationship falls apart and you're in far worse position then than you are now. Your dad would never want that. I promise you, your dad would never want that. Your dad's got some problems going on right now because this guy has helped your dad. And there's nothing wrong with that. All right? But that's your dad's relationship with this guy. You've got to do what's best for you. And I'm going to tell you, it's also going to be what's best for your fiance. Hopefully it's a good wake up call for him. And I'm not talking about just threatening ending it. No, you've got to end it. All right. Hopefully that's a wake up call for him. You, you send him on his happy way. You let him sort out his demons, see if he's going to overcome his demons. If you guys are meant to be together, you'll get together later on, a few years down the road. But right now, absolutely not. Right now, you need to be there for your dad. And you need to tell your dad, dad, I'm sorry. You know, I know that you like him. I love him too. But this is a very bad thing, and he has got to come to terms. I mean, he's got stuff that, that is destroying our relationship. This is what he's doing, and I can't do this. For me, for you, for him, I can't do this. The problem is, is that somebody's got to be, be an adult, and he's not. And your dad can't be right now because your dad's going through some issues. You know that? So you've got to be the adult in this situation. And I am, uh, I'm truly sorry. I am. I'm truly sorry. But uh, you got to play the hand that you're given sometimes. So uh, with that, we're going to, we're going to move right along. So we're going to dive right into the show. When we come back, we're going to get right into the show. Episode 40. Brittany Griner, The Perception of Truth, and those stupid, stupid passwords when we come back. All right, so once again, we are back to the Brett Johnson Show. Brittany Griner, The Perception of Truth, passwords, passwords, stupid-ass passwords. <laughs> ha! Brittany Griner. Boy, she has been in the news. Of course, I guess most people know that Brittany Griner, WNBA star, traveled her ass to Russia was smuggling drugs at the same time. Now, there's going to be somebody, oh, she wasn't smuggling drugs. It was cannabis oil. Well, it was hashish oil, and it was illegal, and she knew it was illegal, and she had it hidden in two vape pens, and they caught her ass and gave her nine years for it. My advice, my advice is don't screw around. 
All right. You know that shit's illegal. Just because you can come in and out of Seattle and they've got some sign posted up, we're not worried about your dope or your your marijuana, and they don't search for that shit in the West Coast, doesn't mean that you can head your ass to, to Russia with all the problems that are going on and try to smuggle in drugs knowing they're going to frown on that shit. No, they do frown on that shit. It's illegal. Stop breaking the law. Now, that being said, that being said, these marijuana convictions in the United States, I served seven and a half years in federal prison. I had a whole shitload of people, inmates, friends that were serving time for marijuana convictions. Dustin Costa, friend of mine, he uh, he he was in Humboldt County, California. He was arrested with 902 marijuana plants, this guy was, on state charges. The state charged him. All right. Now, the state, California's okay with pot. And Dustin was doing everything just fine, everything else. So Dustin's going to court and everything else. And the state actually drops his charges. As soon as the state drops the charges, the feds pick it up. And they give Dustin, I think they gave him like 15 years. See, they, Dustin took it to trial, and his lawyer, Dustin, was wanting to say it was from it was medical cannabis. Well, in the federal system, you cannot use a medical defense for marijuana; it's not allowed. So the only thing that Dustin could say was it was for personal use. So here, poor Dustin is gets his ass up on the stand, says, "Oh yeah, those nine hundred and two plants were for personal use." Took the jury about 15 minutes to come back and say, your ass is crazy, 15 years. So that's what happened. Now, the reason I'm saying that is no one should be serving time for marijuana use possession in the United States. I don't like marijuana. I've never been a fan of pot. I, I've smoked it, absolutely, and I've inhaled. And I would probably do it again if given it to me. I don't really like it, though. I'm not going to search it out. Somebody's got some of it. Maybe I'll take a toke. Maybe not. Don't really give a shit, honestly. Don't like it because I'm the guy that likes to keep, keep control. And I lose track of time when I smoke some dope. So I ain't going to do it. All right? Now, you give me give me something to drink, no? I like me some alcohol every now and then. I like, especially one of the benefits of dating strippers back in the day. Strippers really like champagne. And I was I never drank champagne up until that point. And they told me, man, the high you get from a champagne drunk is just incredible. And I'm going to tell you, the high you get from a champagne drunk is just incredible. So I do enjoy me a bottle of champagne every now and then. I'll, free, I'll get it all nice and chilly, crack it open. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Yes, it's good. It's good. It's so much better than smoking and coughing up a bunch of marijuana smoke. But anyway, back to marijuana. I saw a lot of people that were given a lot of dimes, 10 years plus, for marijuana convictions. And there's something wrong with that. Now, now Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they're beating the drums about getting Brittany Griner out over a marijuana conviction. Yet in the United States, we've got thousands of people behind bars serving a load of friggin' time on marijuana. And Joe Biden... And Kamala Harris aren't doing a damn thing about them. And there's a reason why. The reason why is Brittany Griner is well known now. 
She's beating that drum on her side. Her people are beating that drum, and the media is beating that drum, but they don't give a damn about all these other Americans that are serving time for marijuana. And there's a problem with that. There's a real problem with that. And I don't know if you guys knew. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some education right now. In the federal system, the federal system has a over a 99%, it's 99.6% conviction rate. If you're charged federally, the chances of you being convicted are over 99.6%. And there's a couple of reasons for that. If you're the, the way the federal system works, most convictions are a result of a plea bargain. As a matter of fact, in the federal system, 90 to 95% of all federal cases are solved or settled through a plea agreement. And here's what happens, all right? And I was no different. My plea agreement comes up and I was offered to say, so we're going to, here's your plea agreement. Your, your sentence guidelines are going to be somewhere between 60 to 75 months. And I was like, well, what happens if I take it to trial? Well, if you take a trial, we're going to give you 20 years. And they mean that shit. When I was working for the Secret Service, they arrested some people that were doing mortgage fraud. And the plea agreement that was given to them was, hey, you can plea out. You'll serve 18 months. Well, they chose not to plea out and they gave them anywhere from seven to 13 years. And that kind of shit is common. That's the way the plea system works in the federal system. You get the prosecutor. Prosecutor doesn't want to do a whole lot. Prosecutors got a, work, a lot of work on their table to begin with. And a, an actual, if you go to court, you go to trial, it costs money. So they're trying to save money. So what they do is, is they say, okay, we're going to sit there and we're going to say, this is your plea. You're going to agree to this. You're going to say you're guilty of these charges. And this is how much time you're going to get. If you choose not to do that, we're going to not only quadruple, we're going to put you under the fucking prison. So you can plea out at 18 months or we'll give you seven to 13 years. What do you want to do? And they mean that. That's that's exactly why they have a 99.6% plus conviction rate. Now, that is not fair because a lot of the people that are convicted are poor. A lot of the people that are convicted are not white guys. They're people of color. See, it's very easy to build, to arrest people that don't have the means to hire effective representation. So they're giving public pretenders. And those public pretenders, those pub public defenders may be handling 30, 60, 90, 100 plus cases while they're trying to take care of this guy. So those public defenders are all about the plea agreement. And I've seen it. I saw it on the state side, saw it on the federal side. State side, I was in South Carolina. I'd see someone coming in, arrested with just a weapons, uh, weapons charge. They had no other charges, no other real criminal history whatsoever. They were not felons. They were arrested with a weapon. Before they even went to arraignment, the prosecutors were coming in with plea agreements saying, plea out to 12 years, or they're going to give you 30. And they meant that. And these, these guys, because they didn't know the legal system, they didn't have the money to pay for real lawyers or anything else. They didn't know anything that was going on. They were just dumb, poor people. They were signing off to 12 years. I, the one case that where I saw the guy, the, the kid, prosecutor comes in, gives him a plea agreement for 12 years. The kid says, fuck you. We're taking it to trial. That's before the arraignment even comes up. At the arraignment, the judge looks at the paperwork, throws the damn case out. That's what I'm taught. This, this, the federal system, the prison system, the, the justice system in the United States 
needs some work because it, it targets, it, it's set up so that you don't get a fair trial. Hell, you don't even go to trial because if you go to trial, you're never, you're probably never going to get your ass out of prison. Even if you don't want to talk about the injustice of the American penal system and justice system and all these people in the United States that are locked up on pot charges, even if you don't want to talk about that, then we we can still talk about Brittany Griner being held in a Russian jail and all the people here stateside who are wanting to get Griner out. Meanwhile, we've got a guy named Paul Whelan who has been over in Russia held since 2018. And his family would like his ass to come home too. Now, I've got to tell you, I, I didn't know the Paul uh, Paul Whelan story until I started to look him up. And I'm sure most people out there don't know Paul Whelan's story either. So we're going to read some of that. And again, I will have the links to this stuff in the show notes. So Paul Nicholas Whelan. And Paul Whelan, he's got some messed up stuff going on. He does. Russia called him a spy. Reading through some of the story, I'm like, shit, the guy may be a spy. And if he is, why is the United States government letting his ass languish over there? Because they certainly are. Now, it looks like he's going to get to come home now, but only because of Brittany Griner. If Brittany Griner hadn't had her ass arrested for doing stupid shit, Paul Whelan would be left to rot over there for that 16-year sentence that he was sentenced to. Anyway, Paul Nicholas Whelan, born March 5, 1970, is a Canadian-born former United States Marine with U.S., British, and Irish citizenship. So he's a citizen of the United States, Britain, and Ireland. He was arrested in Russia on December 28, 2018, accused of spying. June 15, 2020, he received a 16-year prison sentence. Now, what you don't hear a lot in the, you don't hear anything in the media about Paul Whelan's story. So I'm going to go through some of that because man, it is really screwed up. So according to a deposition Whelan gave in 2013, he was in law enforcement from 1988 to 2000 as a police officer in Chelsea, Michigan, and a sheriff's deputy in Washtenaw County. The Chelsea police, however, said he worked in lesser ro roles and was a part-time officer from 1990 to 1996. So, no, he something that was inaccurate, what he, what he claimed in his deposition. While the Washtenaw County Sheriff reported no record of his employment. So, in a deposition, he said he was a sheriff's deputy for Washtenaw. Washtenaw says, absolutely not, never happened. A former colleague did say that he was a patrol officer for the Kego Harbor Police Department, though, from 1998 to the year 2000. So out of the gate, there's some dishonesty on Whelan's part. We'll go on with this. He was an IT manager for Kelly Services Staffing Company 2001-2003 and then 2008 to 2010. From 2010 to 2016, Whelan was Kelly Services' Senior Manager of Global Security and Operations, so a pretty important position. He enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1994, Marine Corps Reserves. He took military leave from Kelly Services to serve in the Marine Corps Reserve from 2003 to 2008, including service in Iraq, so I appreciate your service. He held the rank of Staff Sergeant with Marine Air Control Group 38, working as an Administrative Clerk and as an Administrative Chief 
and was part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. After a court-martial conviction, yes, he was court-martialed in 2008 on multiple counts, quote, related to larceny, end quote. He was sentenced to 60 days restriction, reduced to a grade E4, and received a bad conduct discharge. So not what we're reading so far, not really the best guy in the world. Just saying, not really the best guy. The specific charges against him included attempting to steal more than $10,000 in 2006 in Iraq and using, here's what's interesting. This is where, this, this whole story is really interesting. And using false social security numbers to create a false account on a government computer system to grade his own examination. So he's got, he's got some skills. He does. He's a bit of an idiot. But he's got some skills. Hey, I'm a bit of an idiot, but I got some skills too. So hey, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like he's my dumbass brother to an extent. When arrested in Russia, Whelan was director of global security and investigations for Borg Warner. So he gets court-martialed, discharged, all this shit's going on. He still gets a gig for Borg Warner as director of global security and investigations. I find that a little odd. Global, uh, Borg Warner is an international automotives parts manufacturer based in, based in Michigan. His work with Kelly Services and Borg Warner gave Whelan contacts with law enforcement in many countries. Whelan traveled to Russia several times from 2006 and maintained an intermittent presence on a Russian language social media website. I can't even pronounce the damn thing. It begins with a V. VK is what it says. Is what it is. Where he had approximately 70 contacts. He has studied Russian, but communicated online using Google Translate. Which, hey, there's, there is absolutely, there is absolutely no shame in using Google Translate. When I was a criminal, I did not know one little bit of Cyrillic. Could not read that shit. But man, those translate services, they sure came in handy. Again, I feel somewhat akin to Mr. Whelan. So he said uh, <laughs> Whelan supported Donald Trump. And after Trump's 2016 election, uh, Whelan posted uh, all about Trump's victory. All right. So he said in a deposition in 2013 that he holds a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and an MBA degree. He falsely claimed a bachelor's in arts from the University of Michigan in his profile. Uh, he did take courses at the Northern Michigan University without earning a degree. So, again, you know, I'm reading, I'm reading his career. I'm reading his bio and I'm sitting there going, shit. <laughs> he and me and him, we ain't too far apart. What's interesting to me is that what's what's interesting is that he got he was he was doing all of this stuff, got that position with Borg Warner, and then is arrested in Russia as a spy. Let's continue on because I, I I've actually got a bit of a theory with this. All right, so on December 28th, 2018, Whelan was arrested in Moscow, in the Moscow area, by the Russian Federal Security Service, the FSB, 
which is kind of the you know replacement for the KGB, which later confirmed his arrest. Whelan's twin brother, David, said Whelan arrived in Moscow on December 22nd to attend the wedding of a fellow former Marine at the Hotel Metropole Moscow and to assist the groom's family members on their first visit to Russia, a country Whelan had visited many times. He said that his brother planned to return to Michigan on January 6, 2019. That's what Whelan's brother said. Per Russian News, an outlet ran by uh, Per Russian News, Whelan, now again, this gets really interesting. Whelan had $80,000 in cash temporarily confiscated during a customs inspection at the Moscow airport. According to the New York Times, Whelan had acted as a local guide for the wedding guest, but had decided to spend the day of the wedding to meet a friend, per the account of the other attendees that were visiting. Uh, Whelan said that it just gets better. Whelan's brother said that Paul Whelan had entered Russia using his brother's passport. So Whelan was Paul Whelan wasn't even traveling under his passport. He was traveling under his brother's passport. He said his brother had not been in contact with his family. Whelan was formally charged. Paul Whelan was formally charged in Moscow on January 3rd, 2019 for spying. So um, according to the United according to the Russian news agency, Whelan was apprehended in his hotel room at the Metropole while concluding a long outing with a Russian citizen who handed him a USB drive containing, quote, a list of all the employees at a classified security agency. The independent Latvian-based publication, Medusa, reported that the wedding attendees all banded close together for the duration of the holiday and were taken aback by Whelan's decision to spend the day alone. It, it goes from there. It turns out that the person that he got the thumb drive from was a member of the FSB and, and former military and everything else. It also turns out that Whelan had bragged about being able to get all of this information regarding Russian classified materials. So given all that, and again, I, you know, leading up to this shit, I'm like, shit, he's not too far away. I feel, I feel close to this guy already. But the difference is, is I'm not a spy. And I do think, you know, reading through this, and I've, I've spent a couple of days reading about Whelan's story. I don't think that the Russians made this up. I think that that's exactly what happened. And I think that the chances of Paul Whelan being a, a spy for a government agency, I think that's absolutely possible. Absolutely possible. Now, my problem is, is that why, you know, I, I used to watch Mission Impossible all the time, you know, you say, and the, the catchphrase was, you know, if you ever recall, we will disavow all knowledge. And I think that's probably what's happened with, with Paul Whelan here, because, you know, he, he was not traveling under a diplomatic passport as should have been happening so he was deep undercover perhaps and he was arrested and identified as a spy and they gave us that six, 16 years and the united states at that point they were like well you know dims the brakes dims the brakes you know you, you shouldn't have got your ass caught that's all i can say to you if you hadn't got your ass caught you wouldn't be doing 16 years you know we set you up at borg warner we gave you all this backstory everything else we've been grooming you for this moment and you get your ass caught.
Next time, don't get caught. Won't be no problem. So I think that um, I think he probably was a spy. Truthfully, my opinion is that Paul Whelan was a spy. My opinion is that the United States, uh, they dumped him. They dumped him. And I think that's a damn travesty. That if he was serving his country doing this kind of stuff, that they uh, they cut him loose. And the only reason he's being, being gotten out now is because Brittany Griner, the media, and her family beating that drum. So uh, I don't think that Miss Griner needs to be over there. I think that she was stupid as hell for violating the law. I think that she's learned, hopefully she's learned a lesson from this and doesn't try to smuggle drugs and traffic anymore. And I also hope that uh, they're able to bring Paul Whelan back home, which is where he damn well deserves to be. So that was that was the Brittany Griner part of the episode. I told you, Brittany Griner, the perception of truth and those stupid, stupid passwords. So what I talk about the perception of truth, Alex Jones, Alex Jones, the other day, uh, his court case, one of them, he's being sued in, by several different people. Turns out that uh, there was like a, a four point, I think it's like 4.1, 4.5 million punitive judgment. And then the other punitive judgment comes down and they, he's ordered to pay $45 million to these people, this family of, of Sandy Hook, where he was saying that, oh, Sandy Hook didn't happen. It was all a false flag operation so that uh, the government could take away your uh, your guns. By the way, would you like to buy some food or some vitamins from me? I make $800,000 a day on my show. I got to tell you, I wish to hell this show would make anything. It doesn't. And I'm confident that if I started to beat those conspiracy drums like that, I could probably get me a following. But I ain't going to do that shit. Alex Jones evidently has no qualms about that. I don't know if you guys, I, I've read, uh, there's a book called Them by John Ronson, which is absolutely hilarious. It's about the uh, the extremists in America. And he talks about, he actually runs around with Alex Jones, some in this book, before Alex Jones became Alex Jones. I mean, he was, he had a radio show, but he was not the force to be reckoned with that he is today. Um, it turns out this perception of truth, you know, it, I've said before that the facts don't matter. The only thing that matters is what you can convince someone of. Of Alex Jones is a master of that. It does not matter to Alex Jones or his listeners. The facts of that case. What matters is, is that he can convince people that Sandy Hook never happened. He can convince people that the government is using these shootings, staging these shootings, pretending that these shootings are happen, happening in order to take away people's firearms or in order for the government to become in control of our lives. It's a nifty story because a lot of people that, you know, that conspiracies succeed because people are trying to make sense out of things that typically cannot be made sense of. The human mind has problems with that. So we as humans, we try to make sense of those things. And that's why conspiracy theories appeal to people. There was a statement back in the in the uh, mid-80s, mid-late 80s, about Jerry Falwell's followers. That Jerry Falwell's followers are poor, uneducated, and eager to follow. I take offense to that because if you look today at the followers of, of these extremists, I don't care if the extremist is on the left-hand side or on the right-hand side because you got them both. But the followers of these extremists are not poor. 
I mean, you have some poor people that, that follow them, but the, it's not just based on one's income and it's not based on one's education level. All right. It's not, not, it's not uneducated people that subscribe to the far left or the far right or the conspiracy theorist or the extremist on any side anywhere. But I do see my, my, my opinion is, is that it is people that they are people who are eager to follow. And Lord knows there's a lot of media out there that all the time they, they tell you what to think. They tell you how to behave. They tell you what to do. And it seems it's a lot easier instead of making up your own mind and forming your own opinions and being able to back those with some sort of knowledge or what have you. It seems it's much easier to just listen to the talking heads that are out there and let them make sense of the world for you. Doesn't work that way. And Alex Jones is a prime example of that. Do I think it's Alex Jones's fault? Yeah, it's Alex Jones. It's it's Jones's fault, but it's not just his fault. It's the people who give him a platform. It's the platforms themselves. I mean, how long did YouTube let the guy go on with his hatred and his spiel before they banned his ass? How long have all these platforms done this? How long has that happened? Not just on the right wing side, but on the left hand side as well. It continues to this day. When you give platforms to extremists, you get shit like this that goes on. People will listen to that and, and you can start to influence these people and cause them to act. You don't even have to call it out. You don't have to say, hey, go out and do this. They're going to do it. It's that perception of truth. We're now at that point and we've been at that point for a while. I mean, on the criminal side, I've understood that since when I was a cyber criminal. Facts don't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm the person signing into the account, if I'm Bob Jones or what have you. What matters is if I can convince the bank that I'm Bob Jones. Facts don't matter. It just matters what I can convince someone of. What do I need to use in order to convince that company that I am somebody who I claim I'm not? Is it just stolen credit card numbers? Is it fake IDs? Is it an IP address, a spoofed phone call? It's really no different when we're talking about Bob, uh, Alex Jones, or a lot of these woke individuals out on the left-hand side, or Donald Trump, or Joe Biden and his company trying to redefine what a recession is, trying to convince people that we're not in hard economic times when everyone on the freaking planet knows we are. So the perception of truth, facts don't matter anymore. You know, we saw that with it. I think that everyone except the White House knows that we are in a recession. The textbook definition is two quarters. Joe Biden sees that writing on the wall. His team pops out. That is no longer, that is not really, that is not really the definition of a recession. No, it's not. No, it's not. We refuse. <laughs> we refuse to acknowledge that definition. We've got a new definition. This is it. And this new definition says we are not in a recession. So it's no longer facts that matter. And I think that, um, that, you know, we've seen it, we've seen this thing boiling up with the fake news, with, with all these issues and problems, we've seen this coming to a head and it's going to continue to come to a head. You know, we seen, uh, yesterday, Donald Trump's compound, Mar-a-Lago got raided by the FBI. They carried out 15 boxes of papers and no doubt there's some classified stuff in there. We're, we're, we're coming to a head in this country 
We are. We saw yesterday on social media, Telegram, on other these other social media outlets, we see people calling for a civil war now, saying that they're locked and loaded. We see this. And it's not just the right wing that's feeling that way. It's not. And I, I got to say, I mean, I, I saw I saw somebody made a comment that, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton, I think it was Trump that made the comment. Hillary Clinton uh, was able to delete 30,000 emails and nothing happened. And why are they picking on me? Well, you know, yep, Hillary did that shit, but I don't like Hillary either. All right. I don't like you either. But is it something's wrong. I, I do believe that the January 6th hearings, by and large, are a dog and pony show in order to appeal to the left's base. Let them know they're doing something. But um, are we really are we really moving to get forward as a country and as a people? I'm not even worried about the country. I'm just worried are we moving forward as a people instead of helping each other? It looks like we're we're busy trying to isolate ourselves in our own little tribes, and it's one tribe against another. Instead of trying to work together to be better and to help each other become better people, we're busy isolating and doing as much damage as we can. Alex Jones is a prime example of that. You want another example of that? Ukraine, Amnesty International. So the other day, Amnesty International, their Twitter account, they post this thing saying that, hey, the Ukrainian government is setting up weapons and op you know, military uh, operations. They're setting that up in civilian populated areas so that the Russians don't bomb their installments, which is, you may not know this, but supposedly there's a thing called a fair war. And the articles of a fair war says you can't do that shit. Now, we've actually heard these stories before. When, when Israel is engaged with Palestinian forces, Israel often says that, hey, you know, they're setting up their missile batteries, they're setting up their, their in, military installments in daycare centers or in hospitals and things like that. And that's exactly what Amnesty International was saying that Ukraine was doing. Well, is that true? Mm. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Maybe not, because the following day, the head of Amnesty, the head of Amnesty International in the Ukraine stepped down, saying basically that Amnesty International was just a parrot for the Russian government. Is that true? I don't know, because the first thing that goes out the door in times of war is truth. That's the first thing that goes on both sides. So is the Ukraine doing that? I find it kind of hard to believe that the Ukraine is doing that when we see, and we've seen it on video, Ukraine evacuating cities, hospitals, malls, all these other areas because they're scared that Russia is going to bomb and Russia is bombing those areas. So if they're setting up these military installations in these civilian areas, why? Would the Ukraine be evacuating those areas? I don't make no. Look, I ain't no military genius. I ain't no strategic genius. But that don't make no sense to me. You can only do one or the other. And it's a fact that the Ukraine has been evacuating people. So it seems to me that Amnesty International spoke a little bit out of turn. Maybe. Let's be honest. We've seen people like fucknut Macron over there talking about how Ukraine needs to give up some property. 
how they don't need to upset the Russians. Something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that. Something's wrong where where a country is is being is is defending themselves from an aggressor who has no right to be the aggressor to try to come in and wage war. They're just trying to defend themselves. Something's wrong when you've got the powers that be that come out and say, "Oh no, you you need to give into that. You need to cave into that." You know, that's the same thing that's happening with Taiwan and China. Taiwan is a free state, and for some reason, we in the United States are scared to say it because we're, we're going to lose money. Snickers had to apologize because they just made a, 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 they just kind of alluded to Taiwan being free. Then they had to apologize. Apple the other day has to, has to basically bow down to China because of Nancy Pelosi's visit. There's something wrong where we cannot, where, where we can't speak up. You know, I talk about that in cybersecurity all the time. These people who are scared to speak up. They're scared of losing a job. They're scared of getting fired. They're scared of losing a contract or a client. It's no friggin' different with China. Evidently, it's no different with, with Russia. Scared to speak up. Scared of doing the right thing because of some economic reason. We've got to get past that point and understand, hey, do the right goddamn thing because it's the right goddamn thing. Oops. I use colorful language. Yeah. All right, move right along. So we've got past the first two thirds of the show. I have no idea how long this episode is going to be because we're talking about the stupid, stupid passwords. Now, I have said in the past that 80% of the population uses the same password and login across multiple websites or a very similar password and login across multiple websites. That's the problem with credential stuffing. I may send out a phishing email that looks like it comes from your your financial institution, Bank of America. Your level of awareness is high enough that you're like, not going to fall for that shit. Obviously, that's a phishing email. But if I send out a phishing email that looks like it comes from Hulu, level of awareness not as high. You're going to look at it and say, hmm, Hulu. Anyone even watch Hulu? Only thing they got to Handmaid's Tale, the second season sucked. And it did. It did. It did. It wasn't as bad as the last season of Game of Thrones, but that second season of Handmaids was truly horrible. And yes, Hulu's got some other stuff going on. For example, I just watched Prey a couple of nights ago, the new Predator movie. I got to tell you, that mother rocks. I like it a lot. So if you're not watching it, go ahead and tune into it. It's outstanding. It's this thing called credential stuff. And if you're using the same password and login across multiple websites... I capture that, those credentials from the Hulu fish, and then I can plug them in. It's automated. I can plug them into multiple sites and get all of your access to every website and platform that you've got. So that is not, I've talked about that before. That's not the case of the, today's show. What I'm talking about today, my viewers may know, tree hit my house. 100, uh, like 150, 150 foot pine tree during a storm. These 70, 80 mile an hour winds come through Birmingham, Alabama. Blow this tree down on a house on my uh, Otis stepson's bedroom. It really missed him. He had walked out of the bedroom like two minutes before. Then this tree comes crashing down. So uh, thankfully, no one was hurt. We've got USAA as insurance. So they're taking care of us pretty well. They've got us up in a hotel. Got us in two rooms for the next, shit, I don't know, six to eight weeks, maybe longer, while the house is being repaired. 
This hotel has horrible internet. I mean, it truly does. It's a Hyatt. It's got the worst internet connection, worst speed ever uh, that I've ever seen anywhere, any place, anytime. But we had a set of storms come through the other day and it knocked the, the Hyatt portal offline. Now I've got Zoom meetings and everything else. So I'm sitting there looking at the Wi-Fi connections and I notice there's a couple of other Hyatt connections for staff. So I'm like, well, shit, maybe I can get down there and they'll, they'll let me, you know, just sign on to that for my Zoom meeting. Everything will be fine. So I got on the elevator, headed downstairs, got up the front desk. And I was like, hey, any idea when the Internet's coming back up? Oh, well, you know, we've reset the router. We reset it, but it ain't coming back up yet. I'm like, I understand. I saw that shit myself. But I do notice there's a couple of other connections. One's a 5G connection. Can I sign on to that? And the lady, she's like, you know, because when I do a voice, I don't care whether it's a lady or a guy. It's, it's going to be the same voice a lot of the time. Unless I come up with some squeaky voice. I'm not going to do that because she wasn't like that. So she was like, well, you know, if if we had the password, if I had the password, you could certainly sign on to it. But we don't know the password. And I'm like, you don't know the password? All right, and we are back again to the Brett Johnson Show. That's what you call a glitch in the matrix, otherwise known as housekeeping. Turns out that when your insurance company's got you up at a hotel for several weeks while they're fixing your home, that sometimes housekeeping pops by middle of the day and asks, do you need your room cleaned? Yes, yes, I do. So now that we're back, where were we? That's right, we're at the Hyatt place. Up here for several weeks, tree hit the house, blah, 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 blah. The Wi-Fi here absolutely sucks. It truly does. You know, the Wi-Fi portal, it's slow connection. You can really not stream anything at all. If you wanted to, you can't do it. These Zoom meetings that I have, it's very difficult to have those be effective or even complete, even connect most of the time. Anyway, storms came through, knocked the Wi-Fi portal, the, the guest portal off. I had a Zoom meeting coming on. So I'm like, shit, I need to do my Zoom meeting. I don't want to do it over the mobile, over my cell phone. I, I looked at the Wi-Fi connections and there were a couple of other Hyatt connections that were for staff. So I'm like, all right, let's settle that right now. So I got on the elevator, went down to the front desk, looked at the lady. I was like, hey, what's the deal with the internet? And she was like, well, we, we've tried. Uh, we, 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 we set the router but it ain't coming on. And I'm like, yeah, I'm aware it's not coming on. But look, I noticed you've got a couple of other Hyatt connections here. Is there any possible way that I can use one of those? Lady looks at me. She's like, yeah, well, uh, you know, that would be just fine. But we don't know the password. And I'm sitting there going, you don't know the password? She's like, no, we don't know the password. If we had the password, you could use it. So I'm sitting there going, okay, get back in the elevator, go up to my room. And I'm like, shit, it can't be that hard looking around at all the staff and everything here. It can't be that difficult. And here is the lesson of the day. This is why I'm telling this story. Other than, hey, you get these, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really matter whether you're an individual or an organization. Cyber hygiene can be bad anywhere, any place, anytime. The, the, the idea 
what I want to tell you the password is in a minute. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I got back up to my room, sat there for a second. And I was like, shit, it can't be that difficult to figure it out. Profiling absolutely works. You know, that the profiling tends to be a very bad word if you're on the good side of the law. You know, nobody wants to be accused of profiling, but I'm going to tell you now, profiling is very effective. Criminals every single day profile their victims and their potential victims. When I was a criminal, I profiled every single person that I tried to manipulate, that I tried to scam, that I tried to take advantage of, steal from everything else. Every single person in every single situation, I was profiling. When I went down and asked if I could get access to the Hyatt Wi-Fi, and they said that I could have it, but they didn't know the password to it. At that point in time, that criminal mindset that I'm that I have starts kicking in and that profiling starts kicking in because I've been here a few days. I'm aware of who the staff is. I'm aware of the problems that are going on. Turns out that the entire housekeeping staff, none of them speak an ounce of English. So I'm sitting there going, okay, yeah, they've got access to that specific Wi-Fi. Can't be that difficult. Then I'm looking at the people that are working the counter and they are not not by any stretch of the imagination, are they the least bit tech savvy? So I'm sitting there going, can't be very difficult there either. And then I'm remembering all these other hotels that I've stayed at over the years and how typically those passwords, if they don't have a, a, a Wi-Fi portal for the hotel itself, the password for the Wi-Fi is not horribly complicated. It's usually something like Sunny Street or the name of the hotel with is fun or great or what have you. So I'm sitting there going, okay, this can't be rocket science to figure out the password of this Wi-Fi. So I start going through my head. I'm like, okay, it could be Hyatt is great. Hyatt is fun. Hyatt gives us chocolate cake, whatever the hell it is. And I'm like, nah, Nah, it's going to be a little bit simpler than that, considering who all the workers are. It's going to be something really easy. Got it on the first guess. Password, one, two, three, capital P. So I sat there, and I signed on, and it connected. I'm like, shit, that's the password. I got me so bad. Stepson's here, my wife's there, and I'm like, I got his Wi-Fi access. And she's like, you do? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, she's, she's like, well, what's the password? And I tell her and she pauses. She's got the cell phone in her hand and she pauses mid punch, like, and looks up at me. She's like, no, really? What's the password? And I tell her again. So I, I posted that on LinkedIn. And it goes viral right now. There's like 40,000 views. Of course, everybody's commenting, well, that's the stupidest thing ever. And then you've got people that, that's oh, not surprising. It's not surprising at all. Passwords are always like that. You know, you get these idiots that do that. It got so bad that I had a representative from Hyatt reach out to me and simply ask, hey, tell me what's going on. So I contact the representative. As a matter of fact, during the glitch that hit just a minute ago, I checked my messages and... Turns out that the representative contacted me back, wanted to know where the, uh, it's a franchise where I'm at. He wanted to know some more information about it. So it looks like they're going to take care of it. The reason I bring that up, other than it just being, you know, another example of very poor hygiene that is 
it's not just individuals that do stupid password things. It's it's also organizations that do that. Um, and there's really no other word for that. If you've got a password that's like that, and that's one of the top passwords that's listed every single year that people continue to use, and they, all these security people and law enforcement, everyone else says, don't use that. So every single year, it continues like that. So I don't really know how else to say it other than that's just a stupid choice for a password. Use a password manager. Okay, use a password manager. That is not really the point of the story of why I'm telling the story for you. today. It's, it's a neat story to tell, and it, it gives that example. Yes, but the other part of that is this idea of profiling. You see, profiling is extremely effective. Yes, it, it, it can be a very evil tool. Absolutely, it can be. But it can be a very effective tool as well. There's a reason that the country of Israel continues to profile every single day everybody that flies into their country because that shit works. There's a reason that criminals, when you're looking to scam someone, when you're looking to commit some sort of crime that needs some degree of social engineering, there's a, there's a reason that criminals profile every single day. When I, when I was a criminal, when I was a criminal, now, now certainly down here at this hotel, I was profiling. I profiled the workers, understanding that the majority of them did not speak English. I understand they would have problems if you, get, if you created some sort of difficult or sophisticated password. So I knew it had to be simple. I profiled the workers behind the, behind the counter, understanding that they are not the least bit tech savvy. Understanding you've got a lot of workers across the board, it's going to be one major password, so it's, it can't be difficult in order to satisfy every single one of them. At the same time, I'm remembering all these hotels throughout my, my entire hotel history that have had these kind of stupid-ass passwords. So it's not difficult to start trying to guess what the correct password is. It, it, was, it was just surprising that I got it on the first guess. Okay, To me, it was surprising. I've talked to some other people and they're like, ah, it's not surprising. Maybe to you it's not, but to me it was. That profiling was very effective and it's something that kicks in. When I was a criminal, if I were committing an account takeover, I've got your credit card information, I've got your bank information, I want to take over your bank account. I call into customer service. I'm profiling from the moment the customer service agent picks up the phone. I'm, I'm trying to determine first, is there an accent? Yeah, because that matters. For example, if I'm committing some sort of refund fraud, and you see this talked about every single day on criminal channels, if I'm trying to hit Amazon or some one of these other places has an Indian call center, if that call where I'm trying to convince the company to give me my money back while I keep the product, that's refunding fraud. If the call is forwarded to an Indian processing center, call center, I'm going to have difficulty. They are they they pay attention to that shit and they don't like to give up anything. So when I pick when I call in, if it's somebody that's, you know, got an Indian accent, Pakistani accent, what have you. I know immediately I don't want to engage with this person, so I hang up. So I'm profiling right out of the gate. When I used to be a criminal, I would do an account takeover. I would call into the bank. 
I knew I would be listening to the person on the other on the other end of the line, the customer service rep. I'm I'm going to determine whether they're new or not. First few words that are out of their mouth, I I, I can understand. Are they a new hire? Are they reading off of a script, or have they been there a while? This is not their first rodeo. I'm also trying to determine how old they are. Are they young, inexperienced? Or are they a little bit older and they've seen about everything everywhere? I'm going to pay attention to that. I'm going to try to determine their tone of voice, their mood, everything else. And I'll even start to feed into that if I need to. I'll start immediately. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good here. Sucks as always. You know, I'll, I'll start bullshitting around. Trying to determine the the mood and who the person is on the other end of the line so I can manipulate that. So I'm always profiling. If I walk in, when I was a criminal, if I walked into a bank, I walk into a bank, I'm immediately scanning the area to see who is experienced, who's not, who's nervous, who's not, who's happy, who's joking, who's distracted, who's focused, everything else. And I pick my target. As I pick my target, I'm walking up, I'm trying, I'm looking at every single thing that I possibly can about that person. Who is this person that I'm getting ready to try to manipulate? Because I need to know that before I even start to engage. That's the way it works. If I walk into Walmart committing some sort of fraud, say I'm trying to do gift card fraud or something like that. I walk into Walmart. Now, nowadays, everything's automated for the most extent. But back when they had actual cashiers, I would walk into Walmart, walk down the lane, find me a guinea, find me a cashier that was obviously new. They're still being trained. That's somebody I can take advantage of. So I'm profiling all the time all the time. If I was doing coupon fraud and coupon fraud back, uh, you can, there are these channels where uh, you, you can print out, you can buy these coupon passes or they're counterfeit coupons that give you 90% off of whatever you buy. And so I would buy a pack of coupons and, or make my own coupons. And I go to target Well, I'm looking for somebody that doesn't know about this. Somebody who's, who, who has obviously not been at Target for a while or somebody who is distracted, somebody who doesn't read all the memos that Target puts out, somebody that I can take advantage of. So profiling is absolutely key to be successful in a lot of cybercrime. And a lot, because why? Well, because for cybercrime to succeed, it requires a degree of social engineering. Social engineering is a necessity to successful cyber crimes, scams, real world and online, same thing. So I have to profile those victims. I just wanted people to kind of, it's important that you understand that. All right. I understand that, that a lot of people look down on profiling, you know, and, and they do stupid shit. Like we go to the airport, TSA, they don't want to, they don't, they don't profile, so they pick out some 98-year-old lady in a wheelchair with an oxygen tank, obviously about to die, and they figure we need to do a search of this lady. Maybe she's a bomber. No, you're just trying to hide the fact that you do still profile. And that profiling, nay, it can be effective as long as you're not some sort of racist fuck. <laughs> or sexist, or any number of problems, which human beings typically are. But as you're a as a criminal, I don't care about any of that. As a criminal, it does none of that matters. The only thing that matters is that 
when I'm trying to do something, when I'm trying to manipulate something, to succeed at something, the only thing that matters is the profiling. All of that outside stuff that people on the good guy side of the fence worry about, the ideology, the politicization, everything else, the woke environment, the right, the left, everything else, none of that matters on the cybercrime side. The only thing that matters is that I manipulate my potential victim in order to succeed and profit at the end of the day. So profiling off absolutely positively is a necessity at successful cybercrime. And this is an example of that. Uh, the reason I say this is that, you know, I've talked before about that situational awareness, understanding your environment in the physical world and the online world, knowing that there are predators out there and understanding that you may have someone to, and it may not even be that they're actually talking to you. They may be looking at your LinkedIn profile or your Facebook page or anything else like that. You can do, you can profile someone by looking at stuff like that. You need to be aware of that. What can people determine about you in order to manipulate you by looking at your social media or by talking to you on the phone, by engaging with you? Understand that. Understand your place in the cybercrime spectrum. Understand that profiling is effective. It does work. Criminals do that. Once you understand and accept that, then counter that by having that situational awareness understanding what do I need to share online? What don't I need to share online? Who am I engaging with? And I always anticipate that someone may be trying to take advantage of you. My name is Brett Johnson. This is the Brett Johnson Show. What do we say? We say stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant. <laughs> More importantly, this is the Brett Johnson Show. At the end of the day, just do the right damn thing. I am Brett Johnson. Thank you so much for watching.